And let's jump right in this morning. We want to welcome you and happy Valentine's Day to you. And uh, we, I hope that if you have a, a special uh, someone that you just are going to love on them with everything you have and pour out your love on them in the name of Jesus in fatherly, heavenly ways. Just, just love on them. And if you don't, I hope that you just pour out your love on God like never before and that he would pour out his love on you. And even if you do have a special someone, I hope you pour out your love on the Father too. And, and that's, it's a good day to do that. To remember, I've seen a lot of posts uh, this year that I've not seen before, but a lot of posts saying, Lord, we thank you for the love that we have uh, because we know that we could not have love without you. Yeah. Amen. And uh, so happy Valentine's Day to you. And uh, Father, we just thank you for that love. We thank you for everything that you've given us. And we just ask that that love inside of us given by you would manifest and multiply itself and help us to be everything that we need to be. And we praise you for it and love you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you. And uh, if you uh, haven't been here in a few weeks, we've been doing the service schedule a little bit differently. Just allowing more of a flow of God and, and uh, moving right into the, the sermon right after worship. And, and then we'll do the offering and the announcements at the end. And then particularly today, uh, we have a very special kind of announcement and discussion that we want to have with people that uh, call Boomerang home or maybe people that are considering that. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, we talk, everybody that's here, you're welcome to stay. Uh, whether you feel like you're a member of Boomerang or not, you're welcome to. And uh, we just, what we'll do is we'll finish up with the message, which I believe will be pretty short today, but I'm sometimes hesitant to say that. And uh, then we'll move right into that. And so, are you good? Amen. You expect it? Good. I can tell you the devil doesn't like what's going on. He always tries to attack and keep people away from what God wants to do. And I've seen that a lot this morning, actually. Uh, so he, he's not too happy about it. And we're, we're happy about that. So <laughs> we're, we're happy about that. I'm good. Good. So uh, we just praise God. I, I wrote something earlier this week. Um, I, I think I should share it with you right now. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Might take me a second here, but somebody had asked me, "How are things going?" And uh, let's see. I don't know how far back I wrote that. Let's see if I can find it in Facebook because I just felt like you should hear it if you hadn't heard it. I see Sherman teaching the class this morning. That's cool. See, hey, Sherman. <laughs> we'll just take a minute here. You know, there's a time when I would have, um, I'd have been like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you're checking Facebook in the middle of church. <laughs> I am looking for a particular thing. But there's, you know, one of the things is a lot of times we end up being um, we have to do things such a certain way that we miss God. And we don't take a minute and actually listen to him and hear what he has to say. 
And this is what I'm doing right now. I'm just listening. You know where that's at? Yeah, I might have done it in the insights thread too. I know several people saw it. It's where I said um, things are going great. God's moving pieces. The devil doesn't like it, and we like that. Yes, it's somewhere. I, I did post it somewhere, I believe. Well, the problem is, if anybody finds it, tell me. I feel like somebody's supposed to hear it this morning. I saw that too. <laughs> Apparently I post a lot of stuff. Good gravy. There we go. It was on Tuesday. So somebody asked me, they said, how's things going? And I said, basically, things are good. The Lord is moving pieces around. Victory is ours. The devil doesn't like it. And we like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where we're at. And let, me, let me say that again because I believe you know, maybe somebody just, this is for you this morning. And uh, you have to understand that no matter what's going on, God's up to something good in your life. Amen. God's always up to something good in your life. It's who he is. Amen? It's who he is. So here you go. Basically, things are good. The Lord is moving pieces around. You know, that's a part of God's ministry in our lives is that things are moved around, that things change, you know, because he lines them up so that they can get in the right places. Things are good. The Lord is moving pieces around. Change is not bad. Victory is ours. The Lord is always leading to triumph, and the devil doesn't like that. <laughs> the devil doesn't like it, and we like that. We're happy that the devil doesn't like it. That, mean, that means he doesn't like it. That means things are going godly. And we like that, right? We're not scared of him. He's a defeated foe. He is a defeated foe. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, at the position of authority. All things are under his feet, and we are a part of his body, even the least member of the body. The, the very least in the very bottom would still be a part of his feet, and the devil's still under you. Right. Amen? So it doesn't matter who you are in the body. If you are a part of Christ, the devil is under your feet. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Things are good. God's moving pieces around. Victory is ours. The devil doesn't like it, and we like that. And that's a, it's a good, good way to live. All of a sudden, you start to understand that no matter what I'm seeing, things are good. Yeah. Things are awesome. God's moving. God, God is doing some stuff. Amen? So praise God. So I don't know if, that, if you feel like that was for you. Will you raise your hand? Just let everybody know I wasn't crazy. <laughs> if you got something out of it, there, that's good. Amen. And sometimes, you know what, it could be one person. And it doesn't have to be somebody here. It could be somebody watching or it could be somebody that sees this later. We, God's doing so many things that we don't understand because he sees the big picture. We don't see the big picture all the time. Amen. 
Well, each week uh, we pray for a different church because we are a part of the body, but and we are a part of the body, but we're not the best bar- body. We're a part of the best body. And I've had this church to pray for about three weeks, and we've been off schedule and everything's been different. And uh, so let's lift up Resurrection Community Church and Pastor Mike Stovall, okay? So, Lord, right now we just agree together as the body of Boomerang. Lord, let Resurrection Church, let it be lifted on high in Jesus name let your glory be poured out in it father we praise you for it we thank you for it thank you father for pouring out your love and your mercy on resurrection and Lord we just lift up pastor Mike let him be blessed let the spirit your spirit of revelation and wisdom and understanding be poured out in every way and father we just praise you And we love you and we give you the glory. Let every weapon formed against them come to nothing, Lord, and we thank you for it. Let every fiery dart be quenched and let your wisdom manifest and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and turn to Exodus 18, 19, and 20. And we have been um, talking about who, what, when, where, why, and how, and we're still not done with that series, uh, but we will pick back up on it probably next week. But this morning is a special morning for a couple of reasons, and uh, I wanted, I really felt like, I wasn't sure exactly what we were going to talk about today. I was just going to speak to you out of my heart. I felt like I should just speak to you out of my heart. And then uh, Nicole and I took uh, the last couple of days, and we were able to have a a get out of town with just the two of us kind of time and it was awesome and uh, I don't remember exactly last time we got to do that but this was definitely a blessing and on the drive back yesterday um, man the Lord just dropped this in my heart and I believe that this is exactly what you're supposed to hear today and the the topic is what is your responsibility not my responsibility What is your responsibility as a Christian? It's mine too because I'm a Christian, but what is a responsibility of every Christian? And so I want to, I'm going to start out and I'm actually going to repent to you in just a few minutes um, and and just say, hey, I missed this. And I, because I had a way of thinking that the Lord really corrected last weekend while I was teaching a, uh, a leadership class, I saw something in the Word, and I went, mm-hmm, I have not done that. And <laughs> I, I needed to change. And I want you to know that as I see things, I have to change just like you. I saw, I saw a, something written this morning uh, that showed that somebody knew something about a particular set of writing, but it was obvious that they weren't living by that writing, although they may know every bit of it and every piece of it, they weren't living by it. And the parallel was, we as Christians can know everything there is to know in the Word, but if we don't let the Word transform us and change us, what good is it? What good is it? We've got to see the things and then let it change us. And so I was, you know, teaching in the leadership class. And here I am, I read across something and I went, whoa, hit me like a ton of bricks because I had done it, uh, I would say, pretty much the opposite of that. And I went, thank you, Lord, for wisdom. Thank you for revelation. And I need to repent. And I don't always have to tell it to you if I, if I mess up. But if the Holy Spirit says, let them know. 
You know, and I think he wants you to see this because he wants you to see this is the attitude that I should take towards changing for God. And so in Exodus 18, 19, and 20, it says this. What had happened is um, Moses was heading up the children of Israel. They had come out of Egypt. They were out in the middle of the desert. And basically right before this, Moses had been working basically from before sun up to after sundown, he was wore out and he was tired. And his father-in-law comes up. Uh, his name was Jethro, and um, you know he lived in California. It's the place you ought to be. And uh, maybe it wasn't the same same guy exactly, but anyway, he said, "You're doing some wrong stuff." He said, "You're you're messing up, Moses." He said, "You're missing this," and he said. He started to give them some some plans on how to do this right and not be worn out and and actually be more effective. And so, do we know that every scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yeah. So, and, and well, everything I'm giving you this morning, I'm going to give it to you in scripture, and I'm going to point at it and see, say, look, there it is. But I didn't say it. Who said it? The Holy Spirit said it. God said it. Right. So I'm just going to point to it. But here's this thing, and the Holy Spirit, through Jethro, enough for it to get into the Word as a way to live, as a way and a strategy on how to set up and do things, is this. This is the Holy Spirit talking to us. So he says to this, he's talking to Moses, he says, Now listen to me, I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God, then teach them the the statutes and the law, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. So in other words, as a representative of God, Moses was supposed to teach them the laws, teach them God's ways, and then tell them the work that they're supposed to do. Tell them the actions that they're supposed to take, right? And so in this situation, let's, you know, all right, let's apply that to today. How does that apply to us? Who's God's representative in Boomerang? Me, right? So my job is to teach you about the laws of God, to teach you the ways of God, and then tell you what you're responsible, the actions that you're responsible to take. That's where I've missed it. There's periods of time where I just sit back and I was like, well, they won't, they won't take that well anyway, so I don't need to tell them the work that they're supposed to do because that will just scare them away. And the truth is I was being ungodly. Because I was not telling you the work that you're supposed to do, the responsibility that you're supposed to have. Uh, one that I have talked about because the Lord told me to start talking about it a couple of years ago was just being here at church, being a part of it, being here every time the doors open. That's a part of your work. It's a part of the gathering. So I've talked about that some. But when I've, when I've said, hey, you need to be volunteer for the sound booth, you need to be volunteer for children's church and, and different things and helping in the parking lot and smiling and doing that, I haven't always said that, and I was wrong. And because of that, I repent to you for not telling you what I should have done. This is what hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's because I didn't do that. Well, I apologize, and I repent. 
But I want you to know, I will tell you now, but I also want you to know, because when I repent, I change stuff, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to take me five years to do that. I change it pretty quickly, you know, so you'll start hearing this. You're going to hear this stuff kind of come out in messages like you ain't never heard it before. And guess what? If you ain't doing it, guess who's going to come under the microscope? Not this guy. <laughs> Not me. It'll be you to deal with it. But I'm going to do what God's told me to do. I'm going to, and today is a big part of that because I need to teach you the statutes and the laws. I need to let you know the way in which you are to walk. And I need to tell you your responsibility or your action that you should take. Today is a perfect example of that. And so we'll go on, but let's turn right now. We're going to come back to those verses in Exodus. Let's turn right now to Matthew 16. Verse 18 through 19. Now, we, we, we've been in several series recently, and we're going to kind of grab uh, uh, several. <laughs> we're going to grab this out of this series and that out of this series, and we're going to put it all together, and in the end, we're going to come up with a responsibility. All right. One of the series that we were in was Cloudy with a Chance of Loaves and Fishes. Anybody remember that? And in that, we took a really good look at what is the church? What's the church? What is it? You know, what's it supposed to be? And this is one of the key scriptures in that. It says, Jesus was talking, and uh, he said to Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overpower it or it will not prevail against it and verse 19 says this I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven now if we'll back up to verse 18 so that's a pretty powerful promise that Jesus just said right all right so the gates of will not prevail against the church. Matter of fact, the church will carry with it a power that when it says be bound, it'll be bound in the place of authority, be bound in the place of heaven, and it will have to be bound on earth. And when I say something's got a hold on somebody and, and the church says be loosed, that grip has got to be loosed. It'll be loosed in heaven but in the place of authority, and that authority and power will be loosed in the earth. That's Quite a promise. Quite a promise. All right. So, but what he says here is very interesting because he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Now, what's interesting is the word church because the way that we read it today is we read it like this Jesus said, I will build my group of people, and hell will not prevail against it, will not overpower it. Or we would say it like this, well, my people will gather, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But that's really not what he said. A gathering or, or just an assembly is not all that he said. The word that he used right here in the Greek was called ekklesia. It would be like me saying this. Today, this is what he said. I will build my citizen county commissioners. 
my group of, my, this is a governing body. The word that he used, he could have just used the word, is my mic cutting out? Yep. All right. So he could have just used a word that said the gathering of people. And that's all that it meant. And this word did mean that. But he also used it in a society where the word ecclesia meant something else. It was a governing body over that area. So in today's society, the governing body, and this is going to be very, very important as a function as what your responsibility is to understand this point. He said, you need to gather together, but not just gather together. You need to gather together as a ruling body of citizens. Now, what's interesting is this was not a mixture of citizens and non-citizens. This was, this was not just a powerless body. This is the body of believers in that time that set up rules in that area, that set the law, set the president, precedent. precedent. This is how things happened was through this body. So when he used that word in this context, he was giving us an idea about what we are supposed to be and who we are supposed to do. Matter of fact, if we just say, hey, if, if we use this in the way that we read it in today's English and just say, hey, get together, worship me, have a good time, feel good about yourself, and, and hell will not prevail against you. That is not what he's saying. He's saying when you come together, not as a mixture of believers and unbelievers, but a body of believers, in other words, Christians, and you establish rule and authority in an area, hell can't come against that. He wasn't saying hell couldn't come against a group of believers. He was saying a group of believers that are establishing the rule and authority and setting precedent in an area, that's what hell can't come against. Well, that looks totally different, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden, what you have is you have a church that just says, hey, we'll come together, we'll hear the word, but we won't ever apply it in our lives, and, and hell won't be able to come against us, and hell runs all over them. Or you have people that stand up in their authority, not, not being harsh. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being harsh. I'm talking about people who know their authority. Have you ever seen somebody that carries some authority with them and all of a sudden what happens is, um, well, I, I'll just put it like this. I can look at my girls right now and they're messing up and I'll, be, I'll, I'll do it like this. And just kind of raise my eyebrows at them. Even Luke, who's two, I can do that and he'll be like, it's like, oh, something's going on. I better get straight. Why? Because I'm an authority in his life. They know, I, that they know I have a line, and they know not to cross that. And they know, you know there's penalties to crossing that line. It's not harsh. I don't have to, and especially now, like with the girls, I don't hardly ever have to get on to them. But why? Because they know the authority, and they are submitted to that authority. Well, when the church gets up in a place, we don't have to be harsh. We just have to be who God's called us to be. That means we have to do what God's called us to do. I'm teaching you the ways of God and the statutes of God in this. So when the church recognizes my job 
is to set up spiritual law in this place, in this area. Well, that looks totally different from a church who just sits back and takes a, a beating, a buffeting from the world. Totally different mindset. We as the church in general in America just been, well, they made another law, we'll just follow it. That's, that's not what it's talking about. Uh, we were listening, thank you for that uh, CD I, that you gave me, Angela. And uh, it was great, uh, Andrew Womack was teaching on some of the authority and submitting versus obeying. And he was talking about, you know, the same person who said submit to every authority. Submission is an act of the heart. I love the way he said this. Submission is an act of the heart. But obedience is a different thing. The same person that said submit to every authority is the same one in Acts chapter 4 that said, should we listen and be obedient to you or be obedient to God? We're not going to stop preaching Jesus. There's a difference between your heart and what you do. Because Peter understood what Jesus told him here. You're the rock. You're the ruling body. Your obedience to me is what makes. That doesn't mean that we go out there and we just defy government for government's things. It means that you take your place as an authority figure and then you do godly things. And you stand for godly things. Does that make sense? Doesn't mean we have to be harsh. Doesn't mean we just go out there. Doesn't mean you're in rebellion. That would be anti-God. Okay? But it does mean that we stand up for the things of God. And if you don't understand that, then you're, you don't understand that verse we were just talking about. That you see that it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, when somebody godly gets in position, everybody is blessed. Let, this isn't on your scriptures, but let's turn real quick to uh, Proverbs 29.2. And let's do that in the New Living, please. 29.2 and Proverbs. See, here's a principle and a promise of God. The principle and promise of God is this, that when a godly person is in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. Now, who establishes that? Who establishes who's in authority? We do, right? All right, listen, what if we're the majority? I mean, the minority. What if we're the minority? What if believers are the minority in an area? Who establishes who's in the authority? We still do. Because the gathering of believers is what's supposed to rule the area. Through prayer, through being who God called us to be, and loving on a people, we can still oversee who is in rule and who's in authority. Because we know our authority. We still do it. So if you've seen wicked people in rulership in governing places, who does it come back to? Us. Who needs to recognize that and make the change if necessary? Us. That's right. Isn't, it, isn't this awesome? Now see, and let me ask you this question, just looking at this verse, Proverbs 29, 2, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked are in power, 
they groan. Just looking at this verse, who should be in authority? The godly. Period. <laughs> there's, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about that. It's, it's the godly. And, and let me just tell you this. They're not godly because they say they've been born again. That does not make them godly. The word tells us to look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. What's the fruit? What's their voting record? <laughs> what, what, have they, what have they done? Whose job is it to recognize who's godly and who's not and judge it according to the word and then say, hey, we select this person, we elect this person, and we pray that way? Us, because we're the ruling authority. Whether the world recognizes it or not, that's what the Lord says. Well, this kind of changes everything. It changes the way that we look. Did you know, uh, is anybody familiar with the Barna organization? Barna organization uh, is a polling uh, place. And Barna himself is very interested, George Barna, he's very interesting in putting out numbers that are very exact. In other words, uh, you can, I can ask you uh, different polling questions and I can get different results. <laughs> you know, so you see a poll out there, it basically means nothing because it all depends on how you ask the question. <laughs> all right. And, and you see that on, on both sides of our political aisles. So you, you can, you know, but one of the things I like about George Barna is he, he likes getting good uh, best I can tell, he likes getting good information. One of the things that he does is he polls uh, Christians. So he's got several different groups of Christians, and one group he calls evangelicals. Evangelicals, uh, can you not tell the fruit of a tree by its fruit? All right. So he asks some specific questions that identifies the fruit even of a Christian to determine whether or not they're actually uh, walking in the fruit of it or they're just claiming it on the surface. One of the questions in, in there that he gets to is basically determining, you know, are you sharing your faith? Do you go to church on a regular basis? Do you believe that the Bible is God's word, you know, inerrant, that kind of stuff? So he gets down to the, the, the root of it and decides, well, among evangelicals, and I don't remember this exact number, but I remember it was above this. Above evangelicals, in evangelicals, there was over 30 million evangelicals that did not vote last time. 30 million. Now let me ask you this question. Based off of just what we've talked about already this morning, is that godly or not? It's not godly. It is not being the ruling body. It's not being the salt and the light if you're not going out there and even choosing who God said. A godly person. That's ungodly. Well, what do you think is going to happen to a place that has the salt and the light that's not choosing to be the salt and the light? You're going to see a mess. Yeah. So, again, I go back to this. What's my job for y'all? To show you the ways of God? the laws, and show you the responsibility to show you the actions and the work that you should do. So if I stand up here and I never talk about this, am I being godly or ungodly? I would, if I never talked about it, I'd be being ungodly. 
And let me show you something that's very interesting. What happens when you actually choose? Well, we saw that one verse that said, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. So what you really have to come to is, do I really believe that or not? Or am I going to rejoice because there's an ungodly person in there, but I agree more with them? There's an ungodly person that wants to go in there, and they will help my, my bank account more. See, I have to choose. This is why this is such a touchy topic. Is I have to choose, do I really trust God? Do I really believe what he said in that verse? Because if I'm putting in people that don't even claim to know God, or they claim to know God but there's no fruit, they're not godly. We're looking for people that actually claim to know God, are willing to say it, and they have godly fruit behind it. That's what we're looking for. And that comes down to, do I really trust God? You know, there's a lot of people in America today, because you've been preached at by the world for so long that the church should not do anything, and, and there's no way that a church should be talking about politics. I've heard that. I've heard people say that. Have you lost your mind? Do you know how we were formed? That's crazy. That's crazy talk. The church should be, it look, the church is supposed to be the ruling body. How in the world is the church going to be the ruling body without being involved in every area of life and being able to be the salt and the light in every area? You've lost focus off of the plan of God that he's had from the beginning. Because, and, and some of it may be our fault, some of it's other people's fault, but what difference does it make when we see what needs to happen? We need to make the change. We need to repent, change, turn around, and go. See, what's happened is ever since we've been little, especially this generation, ever since we've been little, we've heard separation of church and state, separation of church and state. But it's been being preached from the wrong perspective. It is not the way that it was designed to be preached. And it's ungodly in its own self. So here's the question again. I'll go back to Acts 4. Am I to obey you or am I to obey God? Here's the, and I hope you, you know, you got a pastor who really doesn't care. Honestly, about what you think about this situation. I care about what God thinks. And if you don't understand the value in that, then, you know, that's not good. <laughs> you should see, man, I need a pastor who cares about what God thinks. Because when that person who thinks godly and goes after him is allowed to rule, the people rejoice. So the question is, do I really trust God? Do I really trust God? Can you feel the pointedness of this message? Let me ask you this question. Haven't I given you scripture to already back up what I'm saying to you? So why do we feel the point? Why, why is that point there? Because society today has taught us ungodliness in this area. And we don't have the right to sit back and agree with society over God. We don't have that right. Look at this. 
in Acts chapter 6. Here's the action. My job is to teach you the action and the work. Here's the action. Acts 6, they had some issue. They were selecting people to wait on tables. And look at these qualifications for somebody just to wait on tables. Therefore, brethren, select, select from among you seven men of good reputation. So number one, they need to have a good reputation. Number two, full of the Spirit. Number three, full of wisdom, whom we, we may put in charge of this task. So we see three good qualifications, sort of a fourth, but we'll just, we'll, the fourth one's covered in a second. We see, number one, what are they supposed to be? Good reputation, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. These are people that are godly, again, who breathe this scripture, the Holy Spirit, through men. We know that these are Holy Spirit qualifications when we are looking to put somebody in leadership. In this particular situation and context, the leadership was overseeing ta table waiting. <laughs> so would you not consider that running the country and your state might be at least they want to have this? <laughs> At the very least, they probably want to have some of these qualifications and probably most of them. Would that be a good idea? Yeah, absolutely. Now look what happened when they did this. When they selected those kind of men, what was the result? You look at verse 7, Acts 6-7. The word of God kept on spreading. The number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. In other words, the body of Christ grew. People escaped hell and gained a father. Why? Because they selected the kind of people that God told them to select. Let's go back now to Exodus, Exodus 18. Again, Jethro's speaking. He says this in verse 21, Exodus 18, 21. Furthermore, you shall select out of the people able men who fear God. This is reverence. They reverence God. So now I want you to start applying, I want you to start applying this to candidates that you see. And the truth of the matter is, do we really have somebody that probably fulfills all of these qualifications? I don't know. I don't know. I think we've got some that might be close, but, but f fulfilling all of them, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know. I don't know them personally, but I can look at their fruit, and that's what I should do. Now, see, it's interesting right here. Am I, am I telling you who to vote for? Hadn't even mentioned it at all. But doesn't this kind of clear up some things already and start to show us what we should do? All right, so look. He says this, Furthermore, you shall select out of the people able men. This is the first one. In other words, they are able to rule things well. They are able. They have skill. These are, these are not people that are walking in with no skill and no track record. No proof of who they are. These are not people that are walking in with no track record, with no fruit. We've seen, hey, they can do some things. They have the ability. They're skilled. 
All right. Next one is they fear God. They reverence God. Now, one of the biggest things that you can look at fruit in reverencing God is do they reverence God more than they reverence people? Would they rather please God or please men? Well, let me put it this way. Would they rather talk and give God the glory? Remember these two questions. We talk about them quite a lot. Uh, who's the source and who gets the glory? So the fruit of God, people that actually reverence God, you're going to hear things like this come out of their mouth. I couldn't do this if it wasn't for God. I thank God. And it's not just going to be, you know, God bless you all at the end of a speech trying to get this. You're going to see it coming out of them because this is who they are. They're giving God the glory and they're recognizing God as their source. They reverence. And so do we a lot of times see candidates that really reverence God or do they reverence people that will go to the polls? people that will go vote for them. That's who they're really reverencing. They'll say whatever. They'll say one thing this year, another thing this year. And it's okay. Look, I, I've, I told you this morning how I change. You're going to see times where people repent and change and it's right. But a lot of times what we see is we see people just trying to do whatever is the hot topic of that day so that they will get more votes. Is that reverencing God or is that reverencing the people? It's the people. So you're looking for somebody who reverences God. Men of truth. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Men of truth. <laughs> they all out. <laughs> For the last 50 years, ain't none of them. You know, Men of truth. There's, there's some good men. Here's the thing. Most of the godly people, I've said this before, most of the godly people, they're gone in the primaries. The primary is probably the most important thing that you can vote for. Why? Because that's the place where godly men are either, they, their uh, run either comes to an end or not, and most of them come to an end right there in the primary. I've watched over the last, since I've been an adult, I've watched godly men constantly come to an end right there in the primaries. And people don't even go vote in the primaries, and that's where the godly people's end comes to. That's where, that's where their end comes. Here's the question. Who's responsible for that? Who should be making sure that godly men got to the final race? Because we want people to rejoice, right? We want godliness to happen in our area. Why? Because we are the salt and the light. We are the ruling body. So that means we don't just need to vote in the big race. We need to vote in the ones that lead up to it as well. We need to select. Here are the ways of God. We need to select the people of God so that the people of God, the godly people, will be in authority. God has given us ways to select them god has said by the holy spirit right here a list of ways to say this is how you choose go down this list i've given you a list on how to select people go down this list and see if they make it or not keep in mind that god is not a god of death the devil comes to steal kill and destroy but god came to give life and life in abundance he didn't come, he didn't come, um, gosh, I'll, I'll move on in a minute. Just remember the life part, all right. So here's the other thing. He said, 
Select from among you able men who fear God, men of truth. Those who hate dishonest gain. They hate it. I, and, and going back to the men of truth part, the truth is, in America, we've set up an environment where if a candidate actually told us the truth, we would never elect them. Because we are selecting the people that make us feel like we, what we want. But what we really need, like for instance, with the economy, I know Stephen is involved a lot. How's our economy doing actually? Not good. Not good at all. Well, you need people that will say that. <laughs> you know, but a lot of people will get up and they'll be like, well, the economy needs fixing, and then they'll, they'll say something about it, then brush it under. No, no, no. We need somebody that really understands that and understands how important it can be. You need, but if somebody got up and told you, not doing good at all, this is bad, this is, this is not looking good. If somebody got up, how, how many people of us are actually voting for that person? We, we'll vote for the person, they'll say, it'll be okay, even though they have no idea on how to do that. Or no plan for that. This is not men of truth. You've got to watch that. Now if they have legitimate plans that will actually work and there's a track record of those things working, that's a different situation. But you've got, to, you've got to look up and say, hey, are we actually looking at selecting people that are telling us the truth? Remember, a Christian's job, remember, judge yourself so that you're not judged. In other words, a Christian's job in being the salt and the light and ruling well is one who is willing to face the tough situations and say, what do we need to fix here? What do we need to fix? This is men of truth. Those who hate dishonest gain. I mean, you ought to see them, you ought to see them having a fit when somebody does something wrong and dishonest gain. That's the kind of person you're looking for. And then you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and ten. These are the rulers. He was showing us this is, the, this is the kind of people you should select even to be over people that are only overseeing 10 people. Much less 330 plus million in America. You know, we should be electing people. These should be the minimums. But yet it's even hard to find them because we've been just wanting to hear whatever we hear. Again, I, I feel like going back to it again. Can you feel the point in this? Why can you feel the pointedness of this message? Because you've been taught that talking about these things is wrong. And here's the thing. I'm just giving you the word. I'm just showing you in the word exactly what God says. So in other words, we feel the point and we feel the prick of something because we have been pushed as a society over into an area that is not God. And our job is to stand up and say, wait a minute. I should not be feeling uh, the pressure of this. If it's God, then it's right and it's for me. And I don't care what society thinks about it. I need to do what's godly. This is where our heart should be. If we're feeling the pressure of that, we need to, we need to understand what's actually going on here and not sweep it under the rug. Again, we need to be ourselves, people of truth, willing to face the situation and see God in it. 
What was the result when Moses did this? The result in Acts was, man, the, the kingdom of God grew. The result here in Exodus, if you do this thing as God so commands, then you will be able to endure and all these people also will go to their place in peace. Would you like to have, here's the question, would you like to have more peace in your life? Then how do we get there? We select men that God said, these are the kind of people you want. Here's the list. You can see it. They have a good reputation. They're full of the spirit. They're full of wisdom. They're able. They're skilled. They reverence God. They're truthful. And they hate dishonest gain. Now, how do we know what things are godly and what things aren't? Let me put it this way. God is a God of life. He is a God of life. This is, this is my own personal opinion, and I'm not telling you who to vote for, but it is very important that you understand. You remember back up in Exodus where it says that my job is to teach the statutes and the laws and the ways of God. That's part of my job. Well, I can tell you God is a God of life. The two most important things in our society today that I believe are being voted on by the people we elect, there's two things. The number one thing is abortion. Number one thing, I believe, on the heart of God is abortion. God is a God of life. You know, and here's the, here's the other thing. It, a lot of times when people take a stance that they're against abortion, what also comes out, and this is wrong, what also comes out is, and if you've ever done that, you're just a horrible person. That is not right. That is not God. God's heart is, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what mistakes. I want to love you. I want to help you find my love and have it manifest in your life. I want you restored. I want you whole. I want your family whole. I want everything. And there's even, there's a peace in God for those areas. There's a peace in God where we just go to God and say, Lord, you're a God of life and a God of love. And, and so a lot of times people will stand up and they're so against abortion they overlooked the people that was involved whether they made a mistake or not they overlooked that's not God God is not only for the baby but he's for the mother and he's for the daddy and it doesn't matter where they're at God wants to take them to another place but this is a God is very involved he says that in the womb I knew you in the womb I knew you that baby doesn't miraculously and magically become life when it's born. It was life at the beginning. Yeah. This, is, this is the heart of the Lord. And if, let me just say this since we're right here. If you've ever been involved on any kind of level with abortion and you've ever had any kind of experience with it and you still got some pain or you got some hurt, and I'll tell you, listen, and you need to know this, whether you've ever been involved in this or not, let me, let me tell you this. The studies are, are clearly out there, clearly out there, that if anybody has ever been involved with that, they suffer mentally with that for years and years later. 
Nobody ever talks about that part when they're telling them that it's okay. They don't talk about the mental anguish and the torment. And I want you to know whether you've ever been involved or somebody you know has ever been involved, we have tools and we have ways to help get the love of God to help them bring them up to a restored place. So if you ever find yourself or somebody else suffering from, the, from that kind of torment and they'd like to become free, just give us a call and let us know. Let us know and we will help you in that. The other thing that's right now is that number two thing I would say, this is my opinion, that I would say item in the heart of God is this, is marriage. And why? Well, if you've listened to some of the relationship stuff that we've talked about, marriage was the first thing that the devil attacked. He wasn't just attacking humanity. He was attacking marriage. Did you notice he never came to Adam before Eve showed up? He attacked marriage. And why did he do that? Because marriage shows the perfect picture of God's love for humanity. It shows the perfect picture. So these are two things. I'm teaching you the ways of God and the things of God. And I'll be happy. If you've got questions, I'll be happy to talk to you about it, to answer your questions, to show you. you, know, uh, you know, we, I've had good discussions about this kind of stuff. And I'm not going to try and force you to see one way or the other. I will point you to what the Word says, and then I'll let you make your own decision. But the thing we need to understand is whose responsibility is it to be the salt and the light and to set the rule and to put pe godly people in authority. Do you know the last election, I think, could have been changed by 200,000 voters? 200,000 and 30 million evangelical Christians did not vote. 30 million plus. All right, so let's, let's pass those forms out. Here's why today's important and why I felt like today we're supposed to talk about it. And then it was interesting because Angela gave me a CD by Andrew Womack and it was right along these lines and I really appreciate that. Friday is the very last day for you to register to vote for the primary. You have to have it in. So whether you're already registered or not, you can either register or you can, you can change your party. All you have to do is fill out these forms. We will get them to the Board of Elections for you. We're not going to be trying to review them or telling you which party you ought to choose or anything like that. All we're doing is we're making this available to you. You can, you can fill it out. We will get it there for you. And this is a way, give one to everybody, whether they say they're registered or not. That way everybody's got one. Um, it, whether you have ever been registered or not, it gives you the ability to be the salt and the light. You know, the way that our rules work here in North Carolina is if you want to vote in the Republican primary, you have to be registered as a Republican. If you want to vote in the Democratic primary, you have to be registered as a Democrat. And so you can change that on here or you can register for the first time if you've never done that. But I would encourage you to. Yes, ma'am. You can also be unaffiliated. That's true. Yep. But if you're unaffiliated, you can correct me. I believe you cannot vote for the primary. You think you can today? 
In the primary? In the preliminaries and the primaries. The day, day of the primary, you have to go. Yep, okay. So you, if you're unaffiliated that day, you go in and you say, today I'm voting in the Republic, Republican primary or the Democratic primary, and you can only vote for that, that ticket. Okay. So there you go. Thank you. Thank you. So it's important. It's important to know and be registered and to have those be ready to vote. That's part of your responsibility, which is what we're talking about today. When did that change? Oh, well, yeah. A couple of election cycles, I think. Yeah, I think I remember that. So it's important. It's important to know and important to be registered. This is a part of it. So if you fill that out today, whether you want to register for the first time or you'd like to change or put down one or the other, uh, you fill it out, drop it in the box. We will make sure it gets there. All we're doing is we're just being a vehicle to help you so that you don't have to go find everything and do it yourself because my job is telling you that this is your responsibility. It's not something that you should overlook. Here's the other thing. Let's say that you are voting and that you are saying, um, you know what? I see the most godly person. I see who I think is the most godly person. But I don't think they have a chance of winning, right? I don't think they're even going to come close to winning. What is important to God's heart? To do what he leads you to do. That's right. In other words, what if all the Christians stopped reasoning who they thought would win, listened to God, and actually voted for the godly person that he said to select? Now, here's the question, too. Do you think that God's going to change this list of selection? Do you think he's going to be like, well, this time you don't have to vote for somebody that reverences me? You think that's going to go up and down and change all the time? It's not going to happen. God's not that way. This is what he's established. This is what he's set. But here's the thing, when you come down to it and you say, well, I don't think they're going to win. It's not about that. It's about, like always, being obedient to God. It's always about being obedient to God. And so here's what happens. I heard Brother Copeland talk about it like this. When you vote and you select, whether your person gets into office or not that you believe was God's choice for you, Whether you believe that or not, when you vote, that is a part of your seed. And he says, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will remain. And so it doesn't matter what the world, let's say say that you voted for the godly person and the world voted for the ungodly person and it says that we're going to have trouble. We're not rejoicing, right? What's the harvest that you are now reaping off of? You're reaping, you're not reaping the harvest of what the world chose. You're reaping the harvest of the godliness that you chose. You see? It's very important to understand that. This is what I recommend. This is the ways of God. This is what I recommend. Jesus only did what he saw the Father do, and he only said what he heard the Father say. When you vote in this country, the country has given you the ability to walk in there and say godly things or say ungodly things based off of who you choose.
So before you go in there, you say, Lord, today I'm your mouthpiece. Lord, today I'm making a choice and I'm doing it as the church. And if I want hell to not prevail against this world and against this area that I'm the salt and the light in, if I want, you know, God to be blessed, then today in this voting booth, I'm voting for you because I trust you even more than I trust my reasoning, even more than I trust what people are saying. I trust you. And this is all I tell people to do. Ask him, just spend some time in prayer. Lord, who would you have me to vote for? And if you're going to be godly, it's just as simple as this. Asking, hearing from him, and then being obedient to do that. And you vote that, you're voting what God has put on your heart. And that's what you should do. And whichever party it is, whichever candidate it is, you should vote the way that God tells you to vote. But you should at least take time to be prepared and be ready to vote and to seek him. And definitely vote in the primaries. Don't just wait till the big election. It should be the primaries for the church should be the biggest turnout we ever see because that's where the godly people either make it through or not. And if the godly people make it through, the people can rejoice. Amen? So no matter how you want to treat that form, you can even stick it in there completely empty and we'll handle it. Uh, That way nobody knows what you did, all right? Everybody can stick them in there whether you filled them out or not. And just here's what we wanted to do. Show you what God's ways were. Show you how to make the choice according to the word. And then allow you to do that. We wanted to help be a vehicle to get that into your hands. So that we could be the church that the gates of hell would not prevail against. Amen. 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 Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We give you the glory. We thank you, Lord, for putting authority in our lives so that this world would either rejoice or not based off of our decisions. We're partnered up with you, Father. Lord, we receive that responsibility today, and we will not treat it lightly. We will not cast it aside. But, Father, here's what we will do. We will be who you called us to be. We will take a stand for the things that you want us to stand for. Lord, we praise you, we honor you, and we worship you even in our vote. We sow even in our vote, Lord. And we thank you for that, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.